We are live. We are coming in with Alex Svetsky, Alex Gladstein, and I'm Alex McShane. Uh, we are here to discuss democracy, or rather debate democracy versus Bitcoin. So just to give you a short introduction, in case you're new, Alex Gladstein is the CSO of the Human Rights Foundation and uh, also works with the Oslo Freedom Forum. He also writes amazing essays for Bitcoin Magazine, most recently, The End of Super Imperialism and The Quest for Digital Cash. Alex Svetsky is the CEO of Amber and runs the Bitcoin Times. He also writes amazing essays for us, most recently, Bitcoin is Not Democratic, Part 1, Problems with Democracy. So the long and short of this debate is, um, I think it's fair to say Svetsky is not too keen on democracy and Gladstein <laughs> isn't a fan of dictatorship. Uh, and so we're going to discuss that in the context of Bitcoin today. I thought maybe we could start with some definitions. Um, if we want to start maybe with Svetsky, what does democracy mean to you? And then we'll ask Alex the same question. Uh, all righty. Um, for me, democracy is kind of, if I had to sum it up, it's um, rule of the competent by the incompetent. Um, and it's just a, it's a process. Actually, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. Rule by the competent, sorry, rule of the competent by the uh, incompetent, because um, the, the competent will always be a minority. And um, unfortunately, we'll have to carry the weight. So that, that, that would be if I had to sum it up. Okay. And Mr. Gladstein, your, uh, your uh, definition of democracy? Yeah, well, I mean, the word means uh, will by the people. And I know there's a lot of different ways to, to take that. But when I look at it from a political science point of view, um, I'm looking at a political structure that has a division of power where there is not one person or, or group that controls everything. And uh, different societies are built different ways, but in general, the reason I like a political democracy or what we call maybe like a market democracy or a liberal democracy, uh, as opposed to a dictatorship or a kingdom, um, is that you have separation of power uh, between the executive branch and maybe a judicial branch. You have institutions, you have uh, property rights, you have things like free speech uh, that grow out of having a division of power and a balance of power. Um, there are many problems with democracy. People can still elect a government that will go invade and blow up another country. Um, oftentimes, democracy is a sham. Uh, most of the time when people do a vote in the world today, it's completely fraudulent. Like in North Korea, like everybody votes and there's only one vote on the ballot and that's Kim Jong-un. But that doesn't mean that that country is a democracy. Um, so I'll leave it at saying that uh, a democracy is um, a contested word. Uh, for me, it's describing a society uh, where power is, is kind of divided and where there are checks on the rulers uh, from the, the people. And that reminds me a lot of Bitcoin. And I think that Bitcoin will be a very good check on the rulers by the people in the future. And that's why I think it's very kind of democratic. But yeah, go ahead. Okay, so so to address the obvious question, and, and you just got into this a little bit, can we have both Bitcoin and a working democracy? I guess, uh, why or why not? 
Well, let's get Svetsky's, because uh, he wrote the article on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my, my question there quickly, Vasin, is um, you said a check on the rulers. So, so yeah. on, a, on a Bitcoin standard, who are the rulers? So I, I've been thinking uh, a lot about the Bitcoin standard, um, especially in the last, uh, man, it's like uh, almost two years since we did our little chat, right? Mm. Um, so I think that probably a Bitcoin standard at first is still a fiat system where governments uh, make money, uh, but, they, but they peg it to, to Bitcoin. They have Bitcoin reserves. And um, their fiat currencies will only be worth anything if that if backing is credible. Um, so I think that there's a world, at least in the near future, where the Bitcoin standard doesn't look that much different uh, from today, um, with the exception of that, you know, you don't really have central banks and institutions like the IMF and World Bank with very much power uh, because they can't just like magically create reserves. Uh, the reserves that the world will use will, will essentially be units of Bitcoin. Um, you know, you can make all kinds of monetary instruments on top of that, and I do think that uh, democratic governments and dictatorships both will will choose to to like have both tight and easy mo money um, policies at different times uh, in, in relationship to Bitcoin. In relation right? to how much Bitcoin they have, mm -hmm. and you know the market will 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 be the decider on how much to trust that, and it'll value different fiat currencies in different ways. But I do think that countries that are really strong would like not only the amount of Bitcoin they have on their balance sheet, but also just like the, the economic output they have, the amount of Bitcoin kind of infrastructure that they have will be very well positioned. And I, I, in that world, I, I don't really see why the political structures would, would change very much. But I, I would just note that that's kind of like, let's say the next decade or so. I'm not, I'm not thinking out like that's way- That's transitory. Okay, so you're talking transitory. Yeah, point. I mean, it's hard to speculate on what it could be in 50 years. Okay, so, so what, what do you think happens? Um, so, so would you agree on this statement that um, that governments governments are generally poor managers of money, poor managers of resources, and generally operate? Uh, if they were a business, they would be bankrupt. Generally speaking, I mean, I, I I'm yet to, and you can maybe prove me wrong here, but I'm yet to see a government operate profitably. Um, have you found one? Um, I think that. I, you know, on the one hand, I want to agree with you um, and uh, and say that yes, there's like vast incompetencies. Um, however, uh, governments, because they have a monopoly on violence um, and can be disproportionately powerful versus other governments and institutions and the citizens, have been quite good at quote unquote making a lot of money, right? Like my whole piece about super imperialism described how the United States. Uh, essentially was able to demonetize gold and make everybody else use its debt as the world's currency. Mm. Like that's, and, and my article goes, I think at great pains to explain why that wasn't like necessarily an exactly planned process. A lot of that just mm. kind of, kind of happened. And, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it wasn't like Nixon and Kissinger were total geniuses. Okay. They like in figuring out this devious system, they, they almost like they, they almost kind of backed into this. Um, uh, but all I'm saying I, I is, actually, I, I guess, I guess just, to, just, just to conclude, the U.S. government mm -hmm. has figured out a way, yes, to like, uh, to to like manage the money system in a way that benefits it tremendously. I, I would mm -hmm. say, yes. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny because I I totally agree with you on the idea that um 
that none of these things happen in a some pre-planned lizards behind red curtain uh, situation. But I think they're generally a result of things like democracy. So like um, because there is a tendency like entropy, for example, um, I call it, it's the, you know, it's the overwhelming force that breaks the human body down over time. It cools hot water and it turns all governments into a downward spiraling tyranny of the lowest common denominator because they're kind of positioned in such a way that they they naturally devolve and in a bid to survive they have to naturally continue to find new methods of extraction so like what you described then about the um the u.s government creating you know super imperialism and uh you know forcing everyone onto the you know u.s dollar standard i wouldn't say that that was really a value add i would say that that was a value extraction um, sure. Net value extraction. I agree. Total. And but, um, but 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 you would but you would say it's impressive, correct? Like it was impressive that they yeah, did that. Absolutely. That was that was very like in hindsight, very competent that they did yeah. that. Like that was impressive. It helped them defeat the Soviets, right? Like that was impressive. It was um, it was a more sophisticated form of theft, I would call it. So totally. you know, co communism is a far more incompetent form of theft uh, because. You know, in, in they basically steal first, um, and then people can't produce, and then they will die of starvation. Whereas in democracy, it's kind of like give them some room, let them produce, then steal well, later, right? So it's yeah. kind of like switching the um, the order of things. And it's interesting because I don't think like Michael Hudson, who writes the super imperialism thesis, uh, he doesn't really spend time on the political structure of the classic imperialists versus the Americans. But what he does say is that the classic imperialists operated out of like a net creditor position. Like they had all the money and all the resources. Whereas the unique thing about America has been that we've been able to run the world out of a net debtor position, which is like fascinating. Like we've, we've been able to get all these other countries to pay for our wars and our social mm -hmm. programs, which is unjust, unfair, not sustainable. It's breaking, it's gonna break, but it had a really good run and it was like a very impressive system. Uh, so I guess I agree that like in a in a kind of broad sense that like bureaucrats um, don't manage money as well as actual money managers with skin in the game. Like if you're not managing your own money, I agree you're going to do like a poorer job of it. I 100% agree. However, from like a macro sense, like like it's hard to argue that um, the powers that be you know, succeeded in this form, haven't succeeded one way or the other, you know, mm -hmm. over the years with massive negative externalities. I will go in a, a little bit to, let's say, bring it up to right, what's happening right now. Um, you know, some people argue, a lot of people's criticism of like, let's say U.S. monetary policy is that the Fed is not accountable or like the Fed is not part of the democracy, right? Um, I don't really buy that. I feel like the Fed is an arm of the U.S. government. Uh, works together with the treasury. This is too, super obvious to me. And like they, they, I think they actually, to, to your argument, I think they react to the public pressure of the majority and then they, they, they bend the knee. So like, you know, I, I think that what you're seeing right now is like people freaking out about inflation, right? In America. And therefore the Fed is going to react to that and is, is, is at least, saying they're going to raise rates I and mean, we'll see what happens but they're like clearly reacting to what you're you know this majoritarian feeling right um that's an interesting thing to consider alongside the other insight which is that the fed in my opinion 
has basically um, focused on um, pre-pandemic, at least, had kind of gotten away with since the Greenspan era, uh, uh, focusing on asset inflation um, while trying to avoid price inflation. And this allowed them to enrich the elite in a tremendous way that, that maybe like the average person didn't really notice because they weren't seeing like between 2000 and 2015, you weren't really seeing huge like price inflation, like meat or oil or whatever, like, or like, the, or like, you know, basic things you were eating, but like the freaking stock market, real estate, like, you know, over time, I went up crazy, crazy amounts. So there's like uh, an argument to be made that more recently, um, the Fed's policy has almost been anti-democratic. Like it's it's been like helping the elites um, at the expense of the people, and that and now people are starting to see that see what's actually going on. So I think there's a lot of ways you could take this. Yeah, can, can we can we just draw one line there? Is um I, I really want to, and this is maybe separate but uh, related to our conversation around um, democracy. But I really want to change the terminology around elites. Like for okay. me, the word elite implies uh, being exceptional at something. So like uh, Hussein Bolt is elite, you know, Bruce Lee was elite. Murray Rothbard was an elite thinker. You know, elite is someone okay. who is exceptional. Like what I like to call these people is parasites. I think that's a far better. Okay. I'll say rent seeking bureaucrats. How's that? Yeah, which is so... another word for parasites. Yeah. But <laughs> sure. yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll be a little bit more pointy, but I, I really want to, you know, because I actually believe in a form of natural elitism, which is some people are naturally better at things than other people are and as a result will amass whether it's you know extra wealth uh you know extra status extra whatever not through a process of leeching it from others but becoming the best version of themselves you know so hussein bolt didn't become the fastest man in the world because he walked around and broke everyone's legs and then beat them at the 100 meter race you know like he fucking trained his ass off that is what i consider elite so in that sense I think what drives humanity forward and what drives the species forward is the capacity for individuals to become the best versions of themselves um, and do that off their own back and become elite. Um, and I think that um, that reaching for excellence, that reaching for elitism uh, is a powerful thing. And what's happened is over the last, particularly over the last 10, 20, 30 years, elitism, elitism has been conflated with parasitism and what we do is we, we, when we think of elite, we think of fucking Christine Lagarde, who hasn't produced or created anything in her life other than stolen from millions of people um, without their mm -hmm. consent. And I think we like what, what we end up doing is we end up then viewing the people who are the best in their fields as some kind of um, like we view them in the wrong light, basically, instead of aspiring to be elite. What we do is we start to aspire to be average. Sure. To so, so to, to borrow from our friend Alan Farrington, what I'm describing is like the neo-feudal structure. I'm really talking about the aristocrats. Now, are some of them smart? Sure, but like a lot of them aren't. Um, I, I guess my counter to that would be, I, I do agree with you, of course, that you're describing like what happens in human nature. Um, and I don't think Bitcoin, like, like clearly like people who are good at something are going to be able to amass more Bitcoin who aren't. I think the interesting thing about Bitcoin, and the reason I would say it's like kind of almost democratic in a way, uh, build, building off my definitions, is that what happens in over time, over history, is that people who are really good at stuff, they begin to be able to change the rules of the game. And and like you know, the British were like really smart at certain things, smarter than other countries, 
And maybe that was like fair at the beginning, but they used that advantage to make a system that was unfair and benefited only them. Um, and this goes all the way down to like the micro in your own communities. Like this is this is obviously the argument, the age old argument of like progressivism, right? So rules and rule is basically. Right, and the, the reason why I think Bitcoin has sort of got this interesting progressive or almost democratic kind of quality to it is that it prevents elites, whether they are your definition of elite or aristocrats, undeserving, whether they are deserving or undeserving elites, it prevents them from changing the rules of the monetary game. And I think that that's a historic first. Like gold kind of did that, but gold was easily centralized and, and confiscated and looted and, and, and you know, put into the hands of a few. If, if Bitcoin continues on its trajectory, not so, not so easily. No, 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 no. Like the people will have the ability to have it. So I think that um, that's what I talk, what's what I'm really talking about when I'm talking about Bitcoin as like democratic or progressive. In, it's that it like it is a check against accumulated power and against arbitrary power. Um, and I, I think that natural elitism, uh, you know, inevitably leads to, to these unequal power structures because people are better. Some people are better at doing stuff than others. I agree with you on that. I, I would I would add just some color to that in that I would separate economic power from um, political power. So I think what it does is it places a check on political power, but it doesn't place a check on economic power. And that's good because economic power should be compounded. If you're consider if you're continually and consistently adding value or producing something or creating something, you should be able to continue to amass and build economic power. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does is it actually, and this is where, where I kind of want to take a little bit of the discussion is um, I actually want to separate politics from economics because they, I, I don't view them in the same class. I view economics as the organic process of transforming chaos into order, which is what all species do, whether it's, um, whether it's a fucking uh, mycelium and amoeba, you know, some, you know, eukaryote or a human being, like what we do is we, we increasing our, we, we continue to increase our biological carrying capacity by taking energy, resources and time and transforming it into something of higher order value. And, and that's what life does. Like life is an economic process. It moves, it, it, it progresses forward in taking this stuff. Politics, on the other hand, is an attempt to try and direct or control or to manage this organic process. And that's something that is, um, you know, as far as we understand, uh, more a human thing. Um, it's like, you know, we, we've, we're trying to outsmart the complex process of life. We're trying to outsmart the complex uh, process of economics in which, you know, individuals act towards ends they deem valuable uh, and, in an intersubjective world, we trade in order to meet those ends um, and get somewhere, right? Politics takes the, the standpoint of, all right, we must reduce all of the, um, the constituents of this society, of this territory into some sort of uh, quantifiable metric, so like a number, and then we must direct that in some sort of way. You know, we must take the individuals and for example, give them all a vote um, and give them all the same say. And at some point I want to sort of dig into voting without mm -hmm. you know, derailing here, but it's yeah. like th those two things, I just see them as, um, as opposite ends of the spectrum. Economics on one side is like an organic process. Politics is an artificial process of trying to direct an organic process, which always turns into a clusterfuck. Um, and for me, what Bitcoin does is it swings 
society or swings life or it swings humanity back into the realm of economics, not of politics. And for me, that is the hugest impact. And in that world, in a world of economics, all of it, communism, socialism, fucking fascism, democracy, the whole lot goes out the fucking window. We start to redefine relationships amongst people. Um, and and that, that's kind of the, the challenge that I put forth to you is to sort of start to think beyond what we've used to date um, to organize people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I largely agree with you on that argument. I mean, I think that pre-Bitcoin, all money was political. Um, there weren't really free markets, uh, especially in the last hundred plus years, because the U.S. government or other governments would control those markets and, you know, would would en would engineer or centrally plan mm -hmm. uh, the money system. Mm -hmm. um, so Bitcoin, I agree, like kind of breaks that uh, trend and is as neutral and apolitical as, poss as possible, essentially, as a monetary system. Um, so I do agree there. Um, I guess I still feel that it um, tilts the direction of power to uh, people, individuals, as opposed to like rulers or aristocrats. And, that, that's, that's, and that's really what I mean by democratic. I, I, I don't mean a vote. Although voting is is a part of it, I, I, what I really mean is like, where's the power? Is the power with the people who hold the, you know, the, the people, or the public, or is the power with, uh, with, with a small group of rent-seeking aristocrats? And today, the power of the purse is with a small group of rent-seeking aristocrats. It's, it's just they, they get to make the rules of the money, and they're not elected in any way. Um, and most people are like, are like, basically... Um, through things like what's called Fed speak, uh, they don't know what's going on with the money. Like the, the Federal Reserve, as an example of the largest central bank in the world, um, has intentionally hidden what it does behind complicated language so that the average person doesn't understand what's happening. This is like well documented. Yeah, starting they with got their own fucking language. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, Hilarious. okay, whatever, quantitative easing. Like the average person doesn't know what that is. So um, they're like, sounds good, man. Like, great, you, you go ahead and fix that. So... Um, Again, uh, Bitcoin is like a check on that aristocratic kind of, uh, like, let's say, fake elite power. And, and that's why I like to use the word democracy or, or rather democratic to kind of describe it. Um, but I do, I do kind of agree with what you just laid out. Okay, so, so coming back to the elite point, and this is the last piece I want to touch here before I want to ask another question on representative government. But so, so to the elite point, so yes, it, um, again, I, I really like to define the, the, I, I, and separate economic power versus political power and Bitcoin fundamentally places a check on political power. So if you're a true elite or a natural elite, someone exceptional at your craft, um, whatever dimension that craft may exist in, um, do you think it's fine for you as that individual, that entity to amass disproportionate wealth um, and economic power uh, as a function of your um, you know, input into society, like, and the fact that other people might find that valuable. No, I don't, I don't think that, I, I think that that is uh, what happens in the world. Um, and I think that using violence to try and stop that is, is not good. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I don't, maybe you didn't understand my question. So I said, do you okay. think it's okay for a natural elite to amass disproportionate power as a function of adding value into the marketplace. Yeah, yes. What I mean by that is yes, and any and using violence to stop that is bad. Okay, okay, I, okay, I, good, good, good. All right. That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> Cause yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. 
All right, so we're on the same page. So, so, so do you agree that in that sense, Bitcoin is less about um, the people and more about the individual being able to make the most for themselves? Because this is where I guess maybe the line where we need to see if there's a common ground is because I, I actually don't, where, where I kind of define Bitcoin is it's kind of like a meritocratic or individualist thing. It's like, I can be the best version of myself and I don't have to care about the people and I don't give a fuck what they mm -hmm. vote for or think or decide. Um, you know, I can produce right. the best. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much a civil liberties or individual rights thing. That's why it's called mm -hmm. individual rights, right? It's like, mm -hmm. what can you do? Um, people like me believe that, like, when you look at modern history, uh, the societies where people tend to have the most individual rights in terms of, like, let's say, property rights or free speech or, or um, you know, right to associate, et cetera, et cetera, these tend to be in societies that have voting and, and democracies. Um, and quite obviously, if you live in a dictatorship or an authoritarian or autocratic regime where one person gets to make all the decisions, uh, people don't really have individual rights. There's just less checks and balances and less ways to protect individualism in those countries. In fact, a lot of ideologies that, that come out of these um, authoritarian regimes seek to destroy individualism. Um, and, I, and I would caution to differentiate between mob rule, which would be like populist authoritarianism, which would be like Hugo Chavez uh, or Erdogan or something like that, where you have like the majority of the people supporting a dictator kind of, um, and they're all riled up and they, they love the dictator. Um, that's very different in my mind from like a society that has actual checks and balances. Like what Chavez or Erdogan did to get what they had at their peak or whatever, was get rid of the checks and balances. They got rid of the, the businessmen. They got rid of the media. They got rid of all the people getting in their way. And, and they, they were supported by, quote unquote, the people. Um, that's mob rule. And that's not, not friendly to individual rights or freedoms. But I would argue institutions and checks and balances are very, very, very important for individual rights and freedoms. And Bitcoin is like a tremendous check on government power, just like an incredible one. My fellow clubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone, whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. What if those institutions are, you know, economically um, incompetent? Should they exist? I mean, should, I mean, I think that, um, Satoshi certainly didn't think 
that they should, right? Um, I, I think should is a funny word because what we think about doesn't really matter, um, sure. right, in the long term. I, I, like with the introduction of Bitcoin, we're kind of on a track now where eventually, like I believe at least like there won't really be central banking. So the, the, there won't really be an opportunity for a small group of people to like control the money. Like it, it'll be something that is like taken from them. Um, and I think that that's very healthy for humanity in a lot of ways. Okay. So, so, so let's, let's take this down. So I've got a question here is like, do, do you think democracy has a scale problem? I mean, if we're to use my definition of like, uh, like a liberal or market democracy that has checks and balances and, and a balance of power, uh, um, no, I mean, I mean, the, the, arguably that what a lot of people would point to as like the most effective democracy is, is one of the largest countries in the world, the United States, um, in terms of how it breaks up its power, like how states have power in the United States and how even mayors have power. Um, and where the federal government can't just like come in and do whatever it wants. We're like, you know, where there's this idea of, um, kind of like, uh, you know, states rights and things like that. Um, so I think that that has scaled reasonably well. Um, you know, the CCP has also scaled a different political system reasonably well, like communist authoritarianism, right? So India has a very messy democratic system that, that I don't think is working very well. Um, um, but I think its problems stem from the fact that it's too corrupt and doesn't have enough institutions, not that it's not authoritarian enough. So I think that, I think that like, basically what I'm saying is like societies where people have some sort of check and balance over their government seem to scale fine i don't i don't see a problem there interesting because I, I see a huge problem with the scalability in um in america i mean we had um so so i guess well compared to what though like you we have to compare to apples and apples here like what how would you if you're critiquing american democracy i'm with you it's hugely flawed but like what's better what's a better uh, let's call it hundred million person country that's that's run better uh i, I would say a no country whatsoever that's in like fair. the disunited states of america well that's you know what I mean? fine but that's so, theoretical so, so, right well, well that's what i'm saying so do you think there's a scale problem because i guess where i want to go with this is like do you think a democracy can scale to 300 million people because i think if, if anything i mean just the last um apparent election um showed like you've got um, 70 million people that wanted one thing, another 70 million that wanted something else. Um, and now they're all sort of under one banner. Um, and like, I don't know, that, that to yeah, me doesn't not, look like it's correct. I mean, it's, it's like the Churchill thing, right? It's like the worst of the, all the, op the best of all the worst options. Like it doesn't scale well, you're right. I mean, but I mean, I'd rather have that than live under fucking Xi Jinping who can just decide to just take a whole bunch of people and put them in prison camps. Like, I, I, I think that there's, you know, there's, there's theoretical speculative stuff we can discuss. And then there's like the reality of the world today. And I just think that liberal democratic structures have delivered better freedoms to people than other models of democracy, than other models of government. Um, and, and I, I think that like part of my big, part of my big um, thesis is that like, actually Bitcoin is very American. Like, like if you look at, if you read the Declaration of Independence, you think about things like free speech, property rights, open capital markets, commerce, free trade, Bitcoin really reverberates with all of those values. 
and and mm -hmm. and those are like what separate us from like a communist like fascist state um can it, i can i step yeah. in there really yeah quick, go ahead i i just wonder like in light of i mean where does like locking people in their homes for the last two years you know debasing their currency i mean it, it would seem to me that our democracy isn't in line with those values at all well well first of all you have to again nothing's in a vacuum you'd have to compare us to other large countries right um and i would say that uh i don't know man i live in california i've never been locked in my home uh i i've i've got to use bitcoin so my currency is not debased like I, you know what i mean like if you live yeah, in china okay. you don't have those fucking options man like you really have what to about, compare what about you australia to, you have to compare tibet to, to tibet to texas you really do like you gotta think hard about that um well you you know more about that than me <laughs> i mean i think australia is gonna reap you know is gonna reap is, is laying the seeds for its own future you know and i mm -hmm. think people are quite upset about that in many ways do you think do you think um the people who didn't vote um and didn't want to have be represented by this government should be paying for that i mean it just it's it's hard to say because like okay so let's say australia was a kingdom how do we know that king would have made a different decision i mean there's plenty easy to kill well i'm just saying there's plenty of examples of autocracies that that had much more vicious lockdowns than 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 australia uh it's just it's just it's debatable debatable but in china I mean, man to, to china um so i mean the world's biggest one um and it's not like you have like a choice you have to listen um and and um i don't know i i think that in america uh again it's very flawed um i think that going to war with iraq is a much worse crime than than like public health stuff in the last two years like I, I have opinions about that but like um and like the surveillance state that we have and what snowden revealed and just like the ongoing loss of our freedoms that, that we're about to have the fed just announced it's like first step towards talking about a cbdc that's coming like so, so think, would you not agree that, that they're all results though of mm -hmm. democracy because see my, my argument is america was great long before it had democracy and long before democracy existed in fact human beings have been producing and creating stuff and prosperity is actually a function of free trade and uh collaboration amongst individuals who uh you know free and have some private property rights for me democracy is an addendum so i think what ends up happening is we go and take and conflate democracy with prosperity of the free markets and america for example it because it was a frontiers land and it because it was a place in which there was very little government in the beginning, like basically fuck all from a government standpoint, but you had uh, the, the spirit of the free individual sort of go there. And you had particularly, I, I think two things, or maybe probably three things really drove America forward from an economic standpoint was uh, electricity, oil, and steel uh, more than anything else. Um, you know, like democracy just turned out to be this, um, this parasite that kind of hitched on for the ride and took all the credit for I mean, the, that the is, prosperity of the free markets. I just, dude, slavery, man. I mean, that's what our country was built on. And I, I, I just, I don't, I don't agree. I, that, I, that I, is I, completely false because- Dude, uh, come on. I mean- Absolutely not, absolutely oh not. Because God. all the slaves combined could not over a hundred years produce 
what from from an energetic standpoint I, I would recommend you read energy and civilization which is a discussion of like how we evolve as human beings and how we progress forward and it looks at progressional civilization through the lens through the purely objective mathematical lens of energy output it is totally impossible for you to amass economic power in the modern age through slavery slavery is uneconomical you, you would like America really leaped from horses first, then the um, application of steam, and then the discovery of oil. That's what made America a superpower, not fucking slavery. Um, it was those countries, it was those economies that moved on to far denser energy, um, uh, harnessing far denser energy um, mediums that completely leapfrogged uh, the rest of the world because slavery existed everywhere it, it you know like if with that argument like brazil should have been a superpower but brazil's a fucking clusterfuck so because america had the frontiers um approach and you had Nikola no, the Tesla, reason the reason brazil's a clusterfuck is because it doesn't have uh the the the, the democratic uh, institutions and it had a bunch of military dictatorships uh, in the last hundred years and they fucked over the country and destroyed the currency like I would say that civilizationally speaking, um, I agree. We don't need slavery or genocide to to get to where we want to go. But it, you can't just leave that out of the story. I mean, the the we That's... ninety we we killed off and took the land of all these people, and we enslaved a whole bunch of others. And slavery can be very lucrative. I mean, look what the French do in the West Africa, or you know, like like from a from a colonial colonialism was massively lucrative. I mean, I don't know, like like massively lucrative. I mean. I mean, trillions of dollars uh, were just stolen by the British, by the Germans, by um, the French all over the world over hundreds of years. And and it wasn't, yes, it wasn't, it wasn't due to just engineering like superiority. Like they literally just- Well, the, the engineering superiority is what, uh, the engineering superiority is what gave them the, the initial superiority. And then they used that through the application of politics to then go and steal more from people. So basically you, you had this initial uh, amassing of economic power through the application of science, math, and engineering into technology, which then gave them excessive economic power, which then they transformed the economic power into political power. Exactly. Under whatever but that, but that's, so that's the part that we should dive into because that's what helped. That's what I think Bitcoin can help address. Like basically totally. once, once you have a head start in one area, for whatever reason you want to, we could debate about that, but like, mm -hmm. um, then it just becomes like there's a disadvantage, right? So you have uh, in America, like obviously, um, for all the different, many different reasons, like the legacy of our anti the anti democratic elements of our founding, uh, you know, have created a situation where um, we have a bank system that's extremely discriminatory towards like certain minorities uh in a way that's very anti-free market and, and extremely exclusionary and, and selective um and that's all just fucked up and i think that what's cool is that bitcoin is just like open and neutral and it's, like, it's uh, do you know what I, I would actually push back i would say it's only fucked up insofar as that they can then socialize the consequence of that decision so if i'm a bank and mm -hmm. I'm a, a private banker um, and I choose to say discriminate. I don't like fucking yellow people or purple people or whatever the fuck. And I don't want to give them loans. Okay. I should be free to do so. Um, there should be no law prohibiting me to do so. Um, but simultaneously, 
for my bad decisions, um, I should not be able to go to the central bank and then just get bailed out. You know what I mean? So, so what will happen is discrimination has its own market equilibrium is that if you're a cunt um, to a specific group of people or whatever dimension you want to use, um, you basically, A, should not get their business and B, the person who you're just being a fuckwit to should not lower themselves to give you their business. Yeah, I mean, in a pure free market, maybe that's the way that works. But as we've been discussing, like, we don't live, we haven't lived in that. Yeah. And we've lived in a, in, a, in a world where the people who, who had all the economic power created political transformed power it into political power totally yeah. okay so so this is somewhere we can agree so I, I would actually throw that through the lens of the sovereign individual thesis right it's like it's a period in history where the returns to violence were such that you could concentrate power and use uh economic power uh to to amass political power and then basically i mean even even through you know a marxist lens you know the the bourgeois uh emerged from you know in his words asunder the feudal system tore it down mm -hmm. but in the process then turned into the same fuckwits that they apparently tried to tear down and built their own uh models of power um all they did was they placed a new banner on it saying democracy or for the people every person gets a fucking vote um and you know for me like one of the biggest strange things like you know, so, something that I can't reconcile in my head is this idea of like a representative government, like, you know, so, so for example, in a democracy, you know, you as the person being represented have no option not to be represented. So like whether you choose not to vote or, you know, vote in the opposite direction, um, you still wind up being represented by by yeah. someone and in your country in, in australia you, you like have to vote or you get penalized right exactly yeah dude it's <laughs> fucked up so so it's like so you know i i used to just go in there and just draw a penis on the thing um and you know like the, the thing is it, it's just it's just wild so, so so that that kind of that you're represented irrespective of what uh you want turns into what, what I kind of call like this behavioral decay. Like, you know, you, you have a choice is you either steal or be stolen from. Um, and then that's where it kind of creates an incentive for otherwise competent and capable people to move into politics um, instead of to move into uh, some sort of productive well, application of their skill, which is again, a function of where we are in the absence of economic power being the peak form of power instead of political and again that's what bitcoin changes bitcoin obsoletes political right. power and makes economic power I, I, I think for the audience like like if you just bring it back to bitcoin for a second you could think about being like a bitcoin user right, right. and like mm -hmm. um we don't live in a hyper bitcoinized world yet yes. um, yeah. we live in the pre pre, pre you know pre-bitcoin era still basically so um um the reality is that you have to think about like well, what jurisdiction would I want to be a Bitcoin user in? And there's a little bit of a, a risk game here, right? Because um, first of all, we have the dichotomy between like, where do we want the mining infrastructure? And there's a big debate over this, right? Um, people like me, like thought it was bad that like more than half the mining infrastructure was in China because it's a communist country. There's no checks and balances. They could have just done whatever they want. And we, and we saw them do what they did. And you know what? That sucked for all those miners. Like they, like they had to fucking leave, right? The United States could do something similar, but it's like less likely. There's like lobbyists, and we have like the media, and we have all these things, and it's like, 
it's 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 less likely that the U.S. government is just going to like get rid of mining. That that that's less likely because we're in a democratic society. So I mm. think that's one interesting angle. The other one is that like for now, okay, maybe you're a Bitcoin user and you don't like the tax law in America, so you want to go somewhere else. Well, you have to think carefully about where you're going. Like, are you going to go to Portugal? Okay, has favorable tax law. It's a democratic society, right? Are you going to go to El Salvador? Very interesting. Okay, so very favorable. However, you're entirely at the whim of Bukele. Now, Bukele could change his mind. Bukele could get toppled. Anything could happen to Bukele. So you're wedding like your rights and future to one person. And that's, that's not ideal, I think. So I, you know, when you're thinking about where do I want to be as a Bitcoin user, I, I have a feeling most of these people are going to gravitate towards uh, democracies, maybe with the exception of like Dubai. Um, and look, if you live in Dubai, I think you just got to know you live in, in a slave state, like everything is made by essentially slaves. And the regime there, the, the, the um, fake elite or whatever, the aristocrats who run Dubai have an economic incentive to, to attract foreigners and to make it feel like it's a beautiful place and a paradise and a party and everything. So they're probably not going to fuck with you as a rich foreigner if you're in Dubai. Um, but that system is totally, totally fucked up under the surface. Totally fucked up. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, I mean, I think you have to think about as a Bitcoin user, where do you want to be, right? And I, I think that in the end, like democratic systems are pretty well aligned with, with, with Bitcoin users and authoritarian ones are tricky, I guess would be my, my, my argument. Yeah. Okay. I mean, to, to the Dubai point. I mean, if they didn't have oil uh, and some sort of energy density, oh yeah, be. oil, <laughs> the, the no amount of slavery would have turned that into a nice place. But um, you know, so so I don't know if it's a function of slavery or if it's a function of you know oil and resources. But you know how 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 that a, oil is extracted. It's a rentier state. Like it's you know, you know. It's, what, what does that mean? It, it meaning like it's a state. It, it's a state that uh, bases its power on rent seeking uh from the production and export of, of of oil um that's coming to an end at some point right like they're they're arguably like tilting more towards um other kinds of services right finance acquisitions uh trying to do technology all kinds of stuff everything they yeah, want you to believe I mean, you know you know i mean who else is a um is a state that uses uh, oil, <coughs> petrodollar as a um, as a mechanism for control. Um, I'm sure there are others. Yeah, no, and I, I've documented that well. I know you have. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like as a Bitcoin, as an end user, like you just got to be careful when you when you're kind of simping for authoritarianism because, like, you, just, you never know they they can just change their mind, like, and there's nothing you can do about it. And in America. It's true. We can talk about Ross and stuff like that. And those are important conversations. But generally speaking, there's stuff you can do about it. Like you can fight yeah. back. Yeah, I, I would you, say it's less bureaucracy, more democracy just in the way. Sorry, sorry. I would, uh, yeah, sorry. I would I've say got a, a friend who got like fucking like uh, black bagged and put in a dungeon and then sent out of Dubai. Like that. that's the kind of stuff they do over there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, actually, here's a question. So if, if, um, if you have... A, a community, let's say you own a community, you've got multiple houses in there and you're the private owner of that. And then someone comes in and starts causing trouble. Do you have the right to black bag him? I mean, the right. Um, well, should, should, you, should you be able to black bag him? Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I, I like to 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 to, to zoom out. Well, would, would you black back? Right. Okay, so um, I, I would <laughs> like like I operate with the with the I with the framework that like essentially like private private businesses are are kind of able to do what they want to mm -hmm. to an extent, right? Um, I don't think that what Twitter does is necessarily censorship because it doesn't have an army and it can't black bag people. So yeah. it's a choice that a company makes and we can be upset about it. I think where we'd be worried about it is if we were, if we were going to try to make the argument that Twitter has now become part of the government. Okay. But mm, then, totally, then, totally. then it gets very interesting. Right. Yeah. But as far as like your community, I don't know, you're going to have community rules. And um, I, I, I think that um, everything's a social contract, right? I would prefer to live in a place where if someone tried to like, for any reason, torture, or commit violence against another person, uh, you know, that I would want to live in a society that had some sort of police force that could deal with that, like, and that I would want to pay tax dollars to, to fund that police force and have and live in a place mm -hmm. where I'd police protecting me. That's just my my take. Um, I know that there's some kind of anarcho capitalist types out there that that wouldn't want that, uh, or that would want to live in a oh, place where they had to just, pay, they, they would pay yeah. itemized for everything. Yeah, so totally. I'm going to pay for my private security and all this stuff. Um, yeah. that's or a membership fee or something like that. Sure. I think yeah. that's a fair dispute. But generally speaking, um, yeah, I'd want to live in a society where like if uh, you're in a bar and someone upsets the bartender that the bartender can't just like shoot the person. No, we're yeah. like, no, I, I would I would hope to not live in that, that kind of yeah. society. Not, not, not to defend the black bagging of your friend, but do, do you think in some way, shape or form, Dubai is a relatively, you know, privately owned domain, um, you know, may have black bagging for a similar reason to a business owner black bagging someone fucking around in their bar. Well, th this person was, was, um, again, I'm not defending that either. No, no, no. I'm just, just saying that this person was, was, was attacked because he was criticizing the, 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 the governments of the region, uh, which mm -hmm. are allied with Dubai and he was loud about it and they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just think that the Dubai model is really horrifying when you look at the full spectrum when, you, when you're not when you don't have your blinders on when you actually look at the full spectrum of what it is and how it operates and how it works it, it's certainly not what i would hope humanity is heading towards like that would be a fucking disaster in my opinion um other people may 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 meaning it requires you realize that like less than 10% of the population of these Gulf countries, some of these Gulf countries is actual citizens. Everyone else is just a worker. So mm -hmm. if you're okay with that model, this like kind of neo-feudal model, go for it. You're going to love it. But if you're not, if you want to like move beyond neo-feudalism into a renaissance where there's like a middle class and there's like power uh, balances against the rulers so they can't just do whatever you want, then you're not, then you don't like that model. Right. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Hmm. Okay. Um, oh, I kind of want to dig there, but I, w I wanted to go somewhere else first. Um, what's can we can we dig into voting a little bit? Sure. Um, in your mind, what's what's vote what's voting used for or useful for? Yeah. Maybe so, two questions. There. Uh, I when I think again about a democracy or what we would call a liberal democracy or market democracy today. Um, to me, the foundation is, is free speech. Um, and then on top of that, you have like separation of powers and civil society. 
at the very top, almost like the cherry on top is voting. Like voting is a mechanism to replace the people in power. If you don't have these things underneath it, it's freaking useless. Again, every single dictator gets elected, almost all of them to a T. Um, voting itself is useless if it does not have these things underneath it. So I think voting can be a useful mechanism to, to, to like regularly replace the people in power so that they can't rule forever and turn their, as we've been discussing kind of before, turn their economic power into like more political power. Like, mm. you know, generally speaking, I'm someone who believes that there should be like term limits on, on rulers um, because absolute power corrupts absolutely if for nothing else. Yes, once in a while, you're going to get this brilliant leader who we all want to be in power forever. That's just like very rare though. Like usually like people go, go, go bad, they go rotten. So mm. to me, voting is like this mechanism that, that liberal democracy societies use or communities, cities, whatever use to just replace the people in power so that one person doesn't become emperor. That, that's, that's the way I would define it. Do you, okay, so, so man, I, I want to do a counter definition, but I want to ask a question in there, which is, do you think the, um, the term limits pose a danger of removing skin in the game. So, so what, what I mean by that is a bureaucrat as a representative who knows that they only have say four years or eight years yeah, because they, they don't have any uh, relationship to the capital, the property that they're representing that, you know, they basically it's a, it's a, it's an unconscious economic calculation of I can uh, increase cash flow at the expense of capital because I have no cost of the capital because I'm just a representative who's in place for a certain number of years. Do, do you think it's, there's a danger? Just, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of like why like people have this short-term time preference when they're like a president or a senator. They have like their whatever, four years or eight years or whatever it is. And um, that leads to short-term thinking. I do agree mm -hmm. with that. And that's why like some societies have tried to create stuff like the Supreme Court where like you're just, you have a you rule for life and um, until you die. And I think that you want a mix of the two, like in a, in a good society, you want part of the government to be um, rule for life and you want part of it to be, uh, have some sort of term limits. I think that's a good compromise. Um, again, you will occasionally find a brilliant leader who defies everything and for decades is, is on point and cares deeply about their society and and everything like that and and truly loves the people and all this stuff it's just it's more like a disney character usually totally. you're more likely going to get somebody like bashar al-assad right and you can make that argument about oh we'll look at like a putin or a xi jinping haven't they made their countries great geopolitically yes that they're that they're in, they're improving the geopolitical footprint of their country and in different metrics but you have to look at the costs I mean, yeah, well, that, I mean, that's kind of like your original argument about America becoming, you know, an economic superpower by forcing everybody to use their money and extracting wealth from and everything. It's like, you know, they used that, that like they used extractive political methodologies to become a power. And then now China and Russia are, you know, doing their own version of that um, to do the same thing to, to amass uh, political power. Yeah, I mean, the, the cost yeah. of China's rise is Xinjiang. Like that, that's like apparently a cost because if, if it wasn't necessary to the model of China, of the harmonious society, then, then they wouldn't be uh, conducting persecution of, of, of ethnic minorities. It wouldn't, why would they do it? It's so expensive. Like 
occupying Tibet and Xinjiang is expensive as hell. Why, for a lot of different reasons, including global, obviously, as you see PR lately, why would they be doing that? Well, because they have to, because it's so, so important to the model of their governance. Um, so yeah, generally- politics over economics again. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I tend to think that um, what you bring up is a very good, very, very valid concern. Uh, presidents certainly have a very short-term time preference. Um, I think, ironically, this is why in a lot of institutions, like, again, Supreme Court, lower down at places like the State Department, you, you know, people are supposed to be, like, either life appointees or, like, careerists, right, where it's not, like, they get canned if the government changes. It's kind of funny that in the American system, the, like, the, the careerists are the, are the kind of the peons, and then, like, the rulers are the ones that keep switching, right? Um, there's different ways, different ways to do it. But I, I, I certainly think that um, in a Bitcoin standard, uh, the, 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 the behaviors of people when it comes to thinking about the future will just change, will certainly change. Um, and I just, I guess I would push back against this idea that like unrestrained from term limits or whatever, that these, that these autocrats or kings will, will have like a golden age for their society. I mean, that's, that, that's always the history of the person who like the, the winners write history, right? So the golden age was golden. Yeah. For some people, but it really fucking sucked for a lot of other people. Yeah, so totally. I, I think that that's kind of what I'd want to get at is like, um, with democratic institutions, we remove, we, we the goal is to remove the uh, possibility of a, of a, of a fascist for life, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, well, I, I agree that, so term limits have a problem. I, I think also on the flip side is like the careerists also have a real problem is because if you know, you've got a career job, um, you basically go, yeah, why should I perform? Uh, uh, correct. Exactly. So, so then you, it's once again, um, economically abhorrent. You could yeah, make it, it, it. You could make it based on goals and achievements, and then you're you're more like a job, right? Like in the private sector, right? Yeah, sort <laughs> so, of. Except, but you, you know, when you write your own goals because you know you're part of the political right. apparatus, then it doesn't fucking matter. Um, so, so I guess you know. I, I mean, my my argument is that um, you know, as Bitcoin uh, begins to dominate, what, what ends up happening is society begins to fracture and fracture and fracture and fracture, and, and the world looks more like you know, a million uh, city states as opposed to 200 okay. mega countries. But, but that, like, before we even get Maybe. there, um, before we even get there, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this voting thing. So you, you, you mentioned voting is used to, as a tool for rotating power. Like, yeah. would that be a good summation? Um, but emo also emotionally, it's used to, like, uh, lead the public to believe that they, that they, they have are some choice. that they have some yeah that they have some choice and look like obviously for hundreds of millions of people they they enjoy that whether or not you think it's valid or not yeah. that is a right they really enjoy like when you look at a country where some people are able to vote and others can't the people that can't are really pissed and they'd love to be able to vote um mm. So you could look at like American history. You could look at these Gulf states where these obviously these workers can't vote or participate in any decision making. I think it's kind of like having a seat at the table and whether or not you think that that's true at all, it doesn't matter for people. Like people don't like to not be able to vote if yeah. other people can vote. It's just yeah. sort of like a natural human thing. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the, the feeling of being left out. So, so okay. So could I, could I then make an extension to your uh statement that um so so voting is used to rotate power but that that's still a means to a, a more important end which is 
the, the end of rotating power is so that you can somehow influence or decide the use of resources and energy of society. Is, is that really sort of the end state? I mean, of it's why to stop. I, again, I have a perspective. I'm not an, an, an a sort of a human rights activist. There's a, people have many different perspectives on this, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my interpretation of why we would have voting is to prevent uh, authoritarianism. Um, is to help prevent like an accretion of power at the top. Now, that's not the fair criticism of American democracy or whatever is that that it's not working. Like regardless of the whole voting, and there was there was a great rant on this by I think a comedian. What was his name? Jim Brewer or something? Like uh, that went viral a couple months ago. But like the whole voting thing can distract people from the what's actually happening behind the curtain of like, totally, totally. like a handful of people yeah. like accreting power over time. And like, we think we're, we think we're like changing. Yeah, stuff we got the illusion really of choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. I, like, I, I will concede that's partially true, but it's also partially not true. Like, like it's, well, it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go beyond that though. It's like, so, so whether it's a, whether it's um, an illusion of power or not, like, would you agree that, um, you know, the, even with, you know, an outcome being the rotation of power, like fundamentally speaking, voting is some sort of attempt to place your say into the use of the resources and energy of a society. Is that is that technically like, you know, you're voting, you're saying, look, I think we should do this with our resources. Or I, you know, this, I think this person should be voted so that his policies or which are basically, uh, you know, a manifestation of the use of energy and resources. I mean, society. like, would we agree that that's really the end goal of voting? Yeah, I mean, I I live in a place that's got this like, uh, people criticize it. They say it's like too democratic. Like, mm -hmm. in California, like we don't just vote on um, representatives. We vote on like all kinds of random Everything. stuff. Like, yeah. like, like, should we have this water pipe going? So, what you end up having, what you end up ha having happen, is that public administrators try their best to create these like packets that come into your house. And it tries to lay the pro and the con side of each one. And if they do a reasonable job, but like at the end of the day, you have people who are like highly uneducated about like kidney dialysis machines, um, mm -hmm. voting on whether or not there should be like a wage increase or whatever for kidney dialysis workers. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's really like taxes on bags. Like, should there be this water pipe? Um, should, should marijuana be legal? Should it be death penalty? Like we, we vote on all this stuff. Right. Um, and it's uh, like quite to me, the reasoning is quite obvious. It's so that a, person in sacramento can't just like make the decision that like it has to be consensus in society like that seems like quite obviously the euphemistic or like uh, charitable intent. charitable interpretation of what they're mm -hmm. trying to do mm -hmm. the question is does it actually you know it does it actually produce a good outcome and you can definitely make the case that like california has like uh, you know negative things have happened here because of the system yeah. Uh, including the fact that people voted in the seventies to like put a freeze on, and which is funny for libertarians, but like, like to put a, essentially a freeze on property taxes. So mm. therefore the state had less money to like spend on stuff. So interesting. In, it's interesting in some, some cases, um, a democracy can actually protect the individual. Right. Um, in other cases it leads to like, you know, the behaviors you're talking about, yeah. but Hey, I mean, people love in America, like, the Bill of Rights, like, you know, people, people are protected by this like democratic institution, like their yeah. right, their right to do their negative right to do or to not have to do certain things. Right. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Alex. Uh, just in the last 10 minutes here, as we wrap up, I just mm -hmm. want to sort of 
shift the conversation towards you know um, potential solutions as we are in some sort of democracy now that involve Bitcoin and how you feel Bitcoin can play into this uh, totally. going forward. But ju just before, I just really want to just close this voting loop because mm -hmm. it's really important. Um, is because so so coming back to what I mentioned before, it's it's a it's a it's an it's a opportunity for individuals to. Um, influence the use of resources in society and, and and where i guess i get hung up on voting is like a complete sham not not just the illusion of choice but a, a sham underneath it is the lack of skin in the game so so the problem you've got is if it's a case of using resources should the person who pays for example a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in taxes get more of a vote than the person who pays no taxes you're asking me that yeah. Um, I think that's a difficult uh, question that doesn't have a one-size-fit-all answer. Um, but perhaps there... I mean, every system has tried to kind of negotiate that, right? Um, in terms of, does you having more wealth or power determine your voice, right? So you can see that in, for example, the, the Senate versus the, the Congress. And a lot of the decision-making that went into designing America was... Was trying to find a compromise to that, and I, I guess I would, I would probably echo that. I would try to find some sort of um, middle ground where, because we know that economic power turns into political power, we would want to limit that to some extent. But you know that that's not something you can have like a hot take on. It's very difficult to figure out how you how exactly you limit that without creating undue negative externalities. Yeah. Okay. But but no, like I don't think that like the richest per I, I don't think that Jeff Bezos should be able to dictate like everything for everybody else just because he's richer than them I, I think that there's like some sort of like like uh yeah. balance well, there yeah so, so i guess where where i was going with this is like at the end of the day i actually think that instead of um people you know putting committees together and voting on whether we should all eat beyond meat like we should all just go and buy whatever the fuck meat we want to buy so so basically for me it's like the, the only vote that actually matters is where you spend your money and once again, I think I think what I'm getting from this conversation between us here is that it's really the, the line is, once again, what I mentioned at the beginning is the separation of economics and politics, because sure. if we live on an economic standard, then the vote doesn't actually matter because like you just go and you vote in, you know, like your vote manifests in terms of what the fuck you buy. Like that's like I vote for, you know, organic beef, you know, 20 percent, 25 percent fat um, when I go and buy it um, versus some other you know, person votes for fucking fake meat, beyond meat, and, you know, uh, chicken nuggets that look like erasers. So it's like that, that vote for me is the only one that matters. And I think what we end up doing when we mix politics into society is that we conflate um, voting with voting, right? Like we, we conflate the capacity for an individual to choose where their economic energy is placed with some sort of political say. And then what you end up getting is you get all the lemmings who basically don't own shit, don't understand anything, have the ability to, in, you know, add, you know, a voice onto uh, economic outcomes that they were not party to in the first place. So, so it kind of starts to derange society in so many ways. But I think, anyway, I think the voting thing is such a big topic. Maybe we should save it for like a part two. But sure. I think this is, um, I, I just have a hard time with it. Yeah, just to get to Alex's um, point, um, mm. my thesis essentially is that uh, Bitcoin's adoption and its 
just inexorable rise and and kind of growth in American society and, and global society um, is is going to be really healthy for our system because it will like cut out or make really like uh, it'll disincentivize or cut out or make impossible a lot of like the worst parts about American society, um, which are often like as Svetsky's been saying. Um, are 100% are, are political and have no mm -hmm. economics in them at all or whatever, I guess, to your model. So like these like unelected, unknown decisions that are made by bureaucrats mm -hmm. who- mm -hmm. um, No skin in the game. Yeah, like, like we're gonna fight this war in some other country and like the average American has no idea that that's happening, but they're paying for it with their money. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, mm -hmm. the, a lot of that stuff is gonna like, the, the opportunity to do that sort of thing sort of shrinks a little bit, at least in my mind, in a Bitcoin standard where uh, there has to be a little more back and forth with the people who are giving you your money to go do stuff. Like if you're living in a Bitcoin standard in, in, in the future where there still is the dollar, but the dollar is kind of necessarily kind of pegged to the amount of Bitcoin the government has, um, then where does the government get that Bitcoin? Well, it has to be more of like a taxation model. It can't, it, it's not going to be this sort of MMT type thing. So like there's going to be a closer tie between the people who are like, paying the government for its services or whatever uh and the government's actions otherwise those people are gonna get pissed um today there's no like mechanism for accountability for a lot of this stuff so mm -hmm. i'm hoping that we move to a society where like things like forever wars that take decades and cost trillions and that mortgage our future for stuff uh that nobody cares about in our country are just not feasible like it's just not feasible now is a war to defend like our own territory feasible very right so it just sort of depends but like I think that these like excessive policies that are not helpful for the majority of the people that only benefit a tiny few um, and are all decided behind closed doors. I, I just think this stuff is like the opportunities for these things hopefully shrink in a Bitcoin standard would be like my, I guess my final, final thought there. And yeah, I would echo the exact same thing, Alex. I would say that um, in fact, on a, I would say that whilst, I 100% agree with you on a, on a shorter term time scale. That definitely happens. And what my hope is that on a longer term time scale, we actually move away from any sort of society in which, um, you know, we are subjects of a, of a nation state whom we are born into that we pay right. taxes for. Like, you know, the society starts to fragment, localize, and as I kind of said earlier, transforms into, you know, some sort of patchwork of, a million um, city-states who all decide um, in their own sort of way, like almost like, and, and maybe this will rub some people the wrong way, but it's almost like, you know, a series of competitive dictatorships in the sense that, you know, I own a, a big chunk of land and I want to run it my way. And then I, you know, either rent to others or whatever. And then um, I kind of run it as like a, as like a company and I provide the products and services. I have a contractual relationship with everyone who lives there, et cetera. And I kind of run it like a CEO king sort of thing. And then the territory next to me, or maybe, you know, five, six territories down, they run it more like, you know, a series of, you know, private property enclaves um, in which, you know, they form an alliance for, you know, border protection, et cetera. And they have some sort of common values and rules, et cetera. And you, you sort of end up getting this patchwork but the idea of kind of like a large scale nation state to me on a long enough time scale completely disappears yeah, and, and that's, because and, it's not economically feasible. Yeah, and that's, look, and that's fine. And we can debate that in the future. But uh, I, if we go in that direction and we have 
a decreasing size of the nation state down to more like localized or city sized structures, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be kingdoms. Like they, they may actually be more kind of like similar to, to some, you know, some sort of balance of power structure with some sort of voting like that, that might happen too. Um, but I probably agree with you that, that over time, the Bitcoin standard does like erode probably the size of these nation states. Um, that would make sense because it gives power to people who are like currently like screwed over and disenfranchised. Um, so anyway, always, always a pleasure chatting. A lot of fun. Thank you for having <laughs> us. Course, Bitcoin man. Mag. Uh, uh, we'll, do, yeah. we'll do it again. I, yeah. Great. Having you both on. I think, uh, we've left at a spot that leaves a lot to the imagination and, and begs for another discussion sometime in the future. <laughs> so I really want to thank uh, Alex Gladstein and Alex Svetsky for joining me today. This has been awesome. Um, you'll be able to see a full replay of this on YouTube immediately after. Um, we'll make it available on Twitter as well. So Alex and Alex, thanks a lot. Have a great weekend, you guys. Peace, folks. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Later. guys. Ciao. <laughs>